Good evening. I hope you've had a wonderful day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. My name is Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a great night's sleep with some old familiar stories that you haven't heard in a while. Links to every story can be found in the show notes at our website, bedtimewithbvj.com. Tonight's story, Tobermory by H.H. Monroe. It was a chill, rain-washed afternoon of a late August day, that indefinite season when partridges are still in security or cold storage, and there is nothing unless one is bounded on the north by the Bristol Channel, in which case one may lawfully gallop after fat red stags. Lady Blemley's house party was not bounded on the north by the Bristol Channel, hence there was a full gathering of her guests round the tea-table on this particular afternoon. And in spite of the blankness of the occasion, and the triteness of the occasion, there was no trace in the company of that fatigued restlessness, which means a dread of the pianola and a subdued hankering for auction bridge. The undisguised, open-mouthed attention of the entire party was fixed on the homely negative personality of Mr. Cornelius Appen. Of all her guests, he was the one who had come to Lady Blemley with the vaguest reputation. Some had said he was clever, and he had got his invitation on the moderate expectation, on the part of his hostess, that some portion, at least, of his cleverness would be contributed to the general entertainment. Until tea-time that day, she had been unable to discover in what direction, if any, his cleverness lay. He was neither a wit nor a croquet champion, a hypnotic force, or a begetter of amateur theatricals. Neither did his exterior suggest the sort of man in whom women are willing to pardon a generous measure of mental deficiency. He had subsided into mere Mr. Appen, and the Cornelius seemed a piece of transparent, baptismal bluff. And now he was claiming to have launched on the world a discovery beside which the invention of gunpowder, the printing press, and of steam locomotion were inconsiderable trifles. Science had made bewildering strides in many directions during recent decades, but this thing seemed to belong to the domain of miracle rather than to scientific achievement. And do you really ask us to believe, Sir Wilfred was saying, that you have discovered a means for instructing animals in the art of human speech, and that dear old Tobermory has proved your first successful pupil? It is a problem at which I have worked for the last seventeen years, said Mr. App. But only during the last eight or nine months have I been rewarded with glimmerings of success. Of course, I have experimented with thousands of animals, but latterly only with cats, those wonderful creatures which have assimilated themselves so marvelously with our civilization, while retaining all their highly developed feral instincts. Here and there among cats, one comes across an outstanding superior intellect, just as one does among the ruck of human beings, and when I made the acquaintance of Tobermory a week ago, I saw at once that I was in contact with a beyond the cat, of extraordinary intelligence. I had gone far along the road to success in recent experiments, with Tobomari, as you call him, 
I have reached the goal. Mr. Appen concluded his remarkable statement in a voice which he strove to divest of a triumphant inflection. No one said rants, though Clovis's lips moved in a monosyllabic contortion that probably invoked those rudents of disbelief. And do you mean to say, asked Miss Resker after a slight pause, that you have taught Tobermory to say and understand easy sentences of one syllable? My dear Miss Resker, said the wonder worker patient, one teaches little children and backward adults in that piecemeal fashion. One has once solved the problem of making a beginning with an animal of highly developed intelligence. One has no need for those halting methods. Tobermory can speak our language with perfect correctness. This time Clovis very distinctly said, Beyond rats! Sir Wilfred was more polite, but equally skeptical. Hadn't we better have the cat in and judge for ourselves? suggested Lady Blemley. Sir Wilfred went in search of the animal, and the company settled themselves down to languid expectation of witnessing some more or less adroit drawing-room ventriloquism. In a minute, Sir Wilfred was back in the room, his face white beneath its tan, and his eyes dilated with excitement. By God! It's true! His agitation was unmistakably genuine, and his hearer started forward in a thrill of awakened interest. Collapsing into an armchair, he continued breathlessly. I found him dozing in his smoking room and called out to him to come to his tea. He blinked at me in his usual way, and I said, Come on, Toby, don't keep us waiting, and by gad, he drawled out in a most horribly natural voice that he'd come when he dashed well pleased. I nearly jumped out of my skin. Appen had preached to absolutely incredulous hearers. Sir Wilfred's statement carried instant conviction. A babble-like chorus of startled exclamation arose, amid which the scientist sat mutely enjoying the first fruit of his stupendous discovery. In the midst of the clamor, Tobomori entered the room and made his way with velvet bread and studied unconcern across to the group seated around the tea table. A sudden hush of awkwardness and constraint fell on the company. Somehow there seemed an element of embarrassment in addressing on equal terms a domestic cat of acknowledged mental ability. "'Will you have some milk, Tobermory?' asked Lady Blemley in a rather strained voice. "'I don't mind if I do,' was the response, couched in a tone of even indifference. A shiver of suppressed excitement went through the listeners, and Lady Blemley might be excused for pouring out the saucer full of milk rather unsteadily. "'I'm afraid I've spelt a good deal of it,' she said apologetically." After all, it's not my Axminster, was Tobermory's rejoinder. Another silence fell on the group, and then Miss Resker, in her best district visitor manner, asked if the human language had been difficult to learn. Tobermory looked squarely at her for a moment, and then fixed his gaze serenely on the middle distance. It was obvious that boring questions lay outside his scheme of life. What do you think of human intelligence? asked Mavis Pellington lamely. Of whose intelligence in particular? asked Tobermory Code. Oh, well, mine, for instance, said Mavis with a feeble laugh. You put me in an embarrassing position, said Tobermory, 
whose tone and attitude certainly did not suggest a shred of embarrassment. When your inclusion in this house party was suggested, Sir Wilfred protested that you were the most brainless woman of his acquaintance, and that there was a wide distinction between hospitality and the care of the feeble-minded. Lady Blemley replied that your lack of brain power was the precise quality which had earned you your invitation, as you were the only person she could think of who may be idiotic enough to buy their old car. You know, the one they call the Envy of Sisyphus, because it goes quite nicely uphill if you push it. Lady Blemley's protestations would have had greater effect if she had not casually suggested to Mavis only that morning that the car in question would be just a thing for her down at her Devonshire home. Major Barfield plunged in heavily to effect a diversion. Uh, how about your carryings on with the tortoiseshell puss up at the stables, eh? The moment he had said it, everyone realized the blunder. One does not usually discuss these matters in public, said Tobamori Frigid. From a slight observation of your ways, since you'd been in this house, I should imagine you'd find it inconvenient if I were to shift the conversation onto your own little affairs. The panic which ensued was not confined to the Major. Would you like to go and see if Cook has got your dinner ready, suggested Lady Blemley hurriedly affecting to ignore the fact that it wanted at least two hours to Tobermory's dinner time. Thanks, said Tobermory. Not quite so soon after my tea. I don't want to die of indigestion. Cats have nine lives, you know, said Sir Wilfred heartily. Possibly, answered Tobermory, but only one liver. Adelaide, said Mrs. Cornet. Do you mean to encourage that cat to go out and gossip about us in the servants' hall? The panic had indeed become general. A narrow ornamental balustrade ran in front of most of the bedroom windows of the towers, and it was recalled with dismay that this had formed a favorite promenade for Tobermory at all hours, whence he could watch the pigeons, and have knew what else besides. If he intended to become reminiscent in his present outspoken strain, the effect would be something more than disconcerting. Mrs. Cornet, who spent much time at her toilet table, and whose complexion was reputed to be of a nomadic, though punctual disposition, looked as ill at ease as the major. Miss Scrawen, who wrote fiercely sensuous poetry and led a blameless life, merely displayed irritation. If you are methodical and virtuous in private, you don't necessarily want everyone to know it. Bertie Von Tan, who was so depraved at seventeen that he had long ago given up trying to be any worse, turned a dull shade of gardenia white, but he did not commit the error of dashing out of the room like Odo Finsbury, a young gentleman who is understood to be reading for the church, and who was possibly disturbed at the thought of scandals he might hear concerning other people. Clovis had the presence of mind to maintain a composed exterior. Privately, he was calculating how long it would take to procure a box of fancy mice through the agency of the exchange in Mart as a species of hush money. Even in a delicate situation like the present, Agnes Resker could not endure to remain too long in the background. Why did I ever come down here, she dramatically. Tobamori immediately accepted the op. Judging by what you said to Mrs. Cornet on the croquet lawn yesterday, you are out for food. You described the Blemleys as the dullest people to stay with that you knew, but said that they were clever enough to employ a first-rate cook. Otherwise, they'd find it difficult to get anyone to come down a second time. There's not a word of truth in that, 
I appeal to Mrs. Cornett, exclaimed the discomfited figure. Mrs. Cornett remitted your remark afterwards to Bertie Von Tong, continued to and said, That woman is a regular hunger marcher. She'd go anywhere for four square meals a day. And Bertie Von Tong said, At this point, the chronicle mercifully ceased. Tobamori had caught a glimpse of the big yellow tom from the rectory, working his way through the shrubbery towards the stable wing. In a flash, he had vanished through the open French window. With the disappearance of his too brilliant pupil Cornelius Appen, found himself beset by a hurricane of bitter upbraiding, anxious inquiry, and frightened entreaty. The responsibility for the situation lay with him, and he must prevent matters from becoming worse. Could Tobermory impart his dangerous gift to other cats? was the first question he had to answer. It was possible, he replied, that he might have initiated his intimate friend the stable puss into his new accomplishment, but it was unlikely that his teaching could have taken a wider range as yet. Then, said Mrs. Quint, Tobermory may be a valuable cat and a great pet, but I'm sure you'll agree, Adelaide, that both he and the stable cat must be done away with without delay. You don't suppose I've enjoyed the last quarter of an hour, do you? said Lady Blemley bitterly. My husband and I are very fond of Tobermory. At least we were before this horrible accomplishment was infused into him. But now, of course, the only thing is to have him destroyed as soon as possible. We can put some strychnine in the scraps he always gets at dinner time, said Sir Wilfred. And I will go down and drown the stable cat myself. The coachman will be very sore at losing his pet, but I'll say a very catching form of mange is broken both cats, and we're afraid of it spreading in the cows. But my great discovery, expostulated Mr. Rappin, after all my years of research and development. You can go and experiment on the shorthorns at the farm who are under proper control, said Mrs. Cornett. Or the elephants at the zoological gardens. They're said to be highly intelligent, and they have this recommendation that they don't come creeping about our bedrooms and under chairs and so forth. An archangel ecstatically proclaiming the millennium, and then finding that it clashed unpardonably with Henley and would have to be indefinitely postponed, could hardly have felt more crestfallen than Cornelius Appen at the reception of his wonderful achievement. Public opinion, however, was against him. In fact, had the general voice been consulted on the subject, it is probable that a strong minority vote would have been in favor of including him in the strychnine diet. Defective train arrangements and a nervous desire to see matters brought to a finish prevented an immediate dispersal of the party, but dinner that evening was not a social success. Sir Wilfred had had rather a trying time with the stable cat and subsequently with the coachman. Agnes Resker ostentatiously limited her repast to a morsel of dry toast, which she bit as though it were a personal enemy, while Mavis Pellington maintained a vindictive silence throughout the meal. Lady Blemley kept up a flow of what she hoped was conversation, but her attention was fixed on the doorway. A plateful of carefully dosed fish scraps was in readiness on the sideboard, but sweets and savory and dessert went their way, and no Tobamori appeared either in the dining room or kitchen. The sepulchral dinner was cheerful compared with the subsequent vigil in the smoking room. Eating and drinking had at least supplied a distraction and cloak to the prevailing embarrassment. Bridge was out of the question in the general tension of nerves and tempers, and after Odo Finsbury had given a lugubrious rendering of Melisande in the Wood, 
to a frigid audience, music was tacitly avoided. At eleven, the servants went to bed, announcing that the small window in the pantry had been left open as usual for Tobermory's private use. The guests read steadily through the current batch of magazines and fell back gradually on the badminton library and bound volumes of punch. Lady Blemley made periodic visits to the pantry, returning each time with an expression of listless depression which forestalled. At two o'clock, Clovis broke the dominating silence. He won't turn up tonight. He's probably in the local newspaper office at the present moment, dictating the first installment of his reminiscences. Lady Watchername's book won't be in it. It will be the event of the day. Having made this contribution to the general cheerfulness, Clovis went to bed. At long intervals, the various members of the house party followed his example. The servants taking round the early tea made a uniform announcement in reply to a uniform question. Tobermory had not returned. Breakfast was, if anything, a more unpleasant function than dinner had been, but before its conclusion, the situation was relieved. Tobermory's corpse was brought in from the shrubbery where a gardener had just discovered it. From the bites on his throat and the yellow fur which coated his claws, it was evident that he had fallen in unequal combat with a big tom from the rectory. By midday, most of the guests had quitted the towers, and after lunch, Lady Blemley had sufficiently recovered her spirits to write an extremely nasty letter to the rectory about the loss of her valuable pet. Tobermory had been Appen's one successful pupil, and he was destined to have no successor. A few weeks later, an elephant in the Dresden Zoological Garden, which had shown no previous signs of irritability, broke loose and killed an Englishman who had apparently been teasing it. The victim's name was variously reported in the papers as Oppen and Eppelin, but his front name was faithfully rendered Cornelius. If he was trying German irregular verbs on the poor beast, said Clovis, he deserved all he got. Well, isn't this a lovely tale? We always like to do so many things for our pets, not knowing that they might be listening, and they might understand what you're saying, and who you happen to be running down at any particular moment in time. Isn't that lovely? They know all your secrets. And you best keep them happy, too, so they don't go spilling on the internet. Oh, yeah, there's a pet in it, but you didn't from me. Keep your pets happy. What's something from Chewy.com? They've got everything for your pet to keep them happy and to keep them quiet. Enter BVJ in the promo code and it will do absolutely nothing. Well, this is not a sponsored read. I would like to remind you that we are always on the lookout for new public domain stories to feature on the podcast. You can email them to bigvoicej at gmail.com. And don't forget to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes to help spread the word that we're putting people to sleep. Thank you so much for this. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs)